Now, as I studied this passage uh, this week, I began to think a bit about my own spiritual hunger and thirst. Jesus kept talking about bread. Maybe I just really like food. But on a deeper level, I was actually thinking, what is it that I'm really looking for to satisfy me and to give me fullness of life? And, you know, I was thinking, you know, I have this desire for connection with God. I have this desire for peace with others and in my relationships. I have this desire for harmony in my home, which is Phil's thinking because I've got little toddlers running around. I have this desire for fullness of life. And I don't know about you, but there's different excuses that come in my mind about why I'm not enjoying life to the full sometimes. I think there's three main excuses that come into my mind. First, sometimes it's my sin, sometimes it's my suffering, and sometimes it's my circumstances. So sometimes it's my sin. Sometimes I think, well, if I could just sin less often, if I could just be a a better man, a better husband, a better father, a better pastor, maybe then I'd really enjoy life more. Sometimes I think it's my sin that's getting in the road. Sometimes I think it's my suffering. Now, this is a, a mild example, but last year, our house got hit by disease all year long because our kids go to that Petri dish called childcare of disease. And they just got disease after disease after disease and brought it back to the house. And we we're just sick all year long. And my GP is like getting me to do all these sorts of tests and everything. And I think by the end of the year that we were just like, oh, it's just the kids and childcare. It's not actually some sort of underlying issue that I've got. And I remember when I was sick, just thinking, if I could just be healthy, if we could all just be healthy, just for a little while, then we could really enjoy life. Sometimes it's suffering, that's my excuse. And sometimes it's just circumstances. I think, well, my kids are little and they're a bit crazy right now, but when they get older, they'll be a bit more responsible, they'll be able to take care of themselves, and and maybe then there'll be harmony in the home and we can rest a bit more and have fun and Everyone's having to laugh because uh, I know that's a myth. I know that's a myth. But. So sometimes it's my sin, sometimes it's my suffering, sometimes it's my circumstances. I tend to think that those are the reasons I'm not enjoying fullness of life with God. And maybe you can relate. Maybe you think, you know, there's, there's some sort of sin issue that you have. Maybe it's anger. And it only comes out in the privacy of your own home and you think, oh, this is embarrassing, why'd I lose my temper again? If I could just stop being so reactive, then I could really enjoy life and my household could enjoy life. Maybe it's just suffering. I know people in our church are dealing with difficult health issues, even cancer, and maybe that's what gets you down. You think, that's what's really stopping me from enjoying life. If I could be healed, it would be better. Or maybe it's circumstances. Maybe you're just waiting until retirement comes or until you can move into that next house that will have exactly what you need or whatever it might be. We tend to think that it's our sins or our sufferings or our circumstances that are keeping us from enjoying fullness of life. But what if I'm wrong? What if we're wrong about that? What if it's not those things? What if God has actually provided us what we need for fullness of life today And what we really need to do is just believe. What if our greatest issue is a faith issue? It's an unbelief issue. This is what Hebrews chapter 3 actually gets at. It says this, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. So it's a quote that's referring to the 
Old Testament Israel, when they were in the wilderness, those 40 years, they kept sinning against God and grumbling, and they, many of them died there. So there's this quote being applied to these New Testament believers saying, do not harden your hearts as, as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see they were not able to enter that rest of God, the promises of God. They were not able to enter because of, and we might say, oh, because of this issue or my sin issue or whatever it might be. But he says, because of their unbelief. That was what was really their core issue in the wilderness. You see, they didn't take God at his word. They didn't trust God's heart, even though he was the one who rescued them from slavery in Egypt. As soon as they spent a couple of days without water, they began to freak out and grumble and distrust that God would provide. And so they rebelled, they grumbled, they sought other gods, and they disobeyed. And you know, the failure of the wilderness generation in the Old Testament is really the key background for our passage today in John chapter 6. I don't know if you noticed, but when I was reading, Jesus kept talking about the bread of God and the bread that comes down from heaven. He's talking about the manna that came down in the wilderness. He's referring to that. Because when, when they spent their time in the wilderness, God provided them bread from heaven, which they called manna. And when they're in the wilderness, God sometimes provides water from a rock, things like that to help quench their thirst. And so Jesus is drawing on all that imagery as he's speaking to the Jews of his day. And you notice in our passages, they're grumbling, just like the wilderness generation did. What, what we're really to, meant to get out of that is that these Jews that Jesus was speaking to have the same problem as the Jews back in the wilderness. They have an unbelief problem. They won't trust and believe in the one who God has provided, Jesus. And so John 6 is a warning for all of us. For those of us who don't yet trust in Jesus, it, it's a warning for you to, to say, don't continue in unbelief. Your greatest issue is not how bad you think you are or that you need to become more moral. Your greatest issue is your unbelief. God wants you to come. God wants you to put his, your faith in Him, wants you to trust in Him. He just invites you to come as you are. For us who already trust in Jesus, I think it's a warning that what is actually keeping us from fullness of life is not our sinful actions necessarily or our sufferings or our circumstances. It's actually those times when we, when we fail you to take hold of the promises in the gospel, when we fail to trust and believe and rest in what God has already provided for us. So what we're going to do this morning is just let Jesus speak. We're just going to let him speak to us. We're going to hear what he says about who he is and about what's in his heart. And as we hear him, we have a choice today. We can believe, we can trust Him, we can give ourselves to Him, or we can distrust and worry and make up excuses about why He can't accept us. So let's dive in, and we're just going to focus in on verses 35 to 40. Let's take a look first at verse 35. Excuse me for a moment. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And so remember, when he's saying, I'm the bread of life, he's drawing on that wilderness story. In the wilderness, God rained down bread from heaven called manna. 
He provided them water when they were thirsty in the desert. And so Jesus is saying that just like the manna and the water were God's provision for Israel to preserve them and to protect them and to provide for them, Jesus is saying, I'm like the truer version of those things. They were just signs pointing forward to me. And I'm here, I'm God's provision for you. I'm here to satisfy your hunger. I'm here to quench your thirst. I'm here to fill you up. And notice the willingness of Jesus' heart here. He wants to satisfy hungry sinners. That's why he came. He doesn't get upset or exasperated when we come and we're too messy and too broken. That's why he came. He wants to fill us up. But I think we tend to come up with excuses about why God is not willing sometimes. But Jesus puts it plain and simple. He will not hold out on anyone who comes to him. Now, these verses in the New Testament were originally written in Greek, and they're really emphatic. Literally, it says something like this. The one who comes to me, Jesus says, will certainly never hunger. And the one who believes in me will certainly never thirst at any time. He's emphatic about this. He will never not feed his people. He will never not provide for his people. The reason we won't hunger and thirst is not just because Jesus has the power to satisfy us, but more than that, he is willing. He is so willing. He's not giving us a teaching or a doctrine. He's giving us himself. He's calling us to himself to receive from him with all the generosity and compassion that floods his heart. And this is worth pondering because many people outside the church don't realize that we believe this. Many people outside the church think that we gather together on Sundays to talk about how to be moral. And no wonder they don't want to come because they think we're just here to get a, a slap on the wrist and another moral lesson about how to be better. But the good news in the center of the message of Jesus is that Jesus came for the immoral. Jesus came for the sinner and for the broken. And he doesn't tell us first to become religious or to become moral or to do better and try harder. He tells us, first of all, just to come to him. Do you remember Jesse Walsh's testimony recently? Jesse's part of our church family and he shared his testimony and this is what he said. He said, I wanted to make my sin respectable before letting Jesus do the rest. But that's not what Jesus demands of us. God in his grace taught me that I was nothing. Believe me, it didn't feel good at the time, but he showed me that there was no good in me and that my works were fruitless to bring me to salvation. He stripped me of everything that I could possibly hold on to so that I had nothing left to give. It was only now that I was emptied out, my pride was shattered, that I came to Jesus. Now, I think that's incredible because Jesse wanted to do what we all tend to want to do is put conditions on it and make ourselves a bit more respectable first. We have excuses about why God just couldn't be that gracious. But it was only when he got to the end of himself where he thought, I've, all I've got left is Jesus. And he came to Jesus and he received life. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Now let's take a closer look next at verses 36 to 37. Jesus says, but as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Now, I love here, <coughs> sorry, I love here how Jesus is just not exasperated by these Jewish crowds. 
He'd spent a lot of time with them. He'd already done miracles in front of them and they still don't believe and they're wanting him to do more. But he's not frustrated in his evangelism. He's not annoyed that people don't get it. He just says, all those the Father gives me will come to me. He knows that the Father is the sovereign one who saves. And he puts all his trust in the Father. He just rests in that. And then he says, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. I love that statement. You can stake your life on something like that. In the ESV, it says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And we're just going to spend some time in that line for a moment, just breaking that down because there's so much beauty in that. First, Jesus says, whoever, whoever, whoever you are, you are invited to come to him. I love how um, Dane Ortland, in his book, Gentle and Lowly, really deals with our objections to this whoever. And this is what he says in his book, which this series is really inspired by. He says, no, wait, we say, cautiously approaching Jesus. You, you don't understand, I've really messed up in all kinds of ways. Jesus, I know, us. You know most of it, sure, certainly more than what others see, but there's perversity down inside me that is hidden from everyone. Jesus, I know it all us. Well, the thing is, it isn't just my past, it's my present too. Jesus, I understand. Us. But I don't know if I can break free of this anytime soon. Jesus, that's the only kind of person I'm here to help. Us. The burden is heavy and heavier all the time. Jesus, then let me carry it. Us. It's too much to bear. Jesus, not for me us. You don't get it. My offenses aren't directed toward others. They're against you, Jesus. Then I am the one most suited to forgive them, us. But the more of the ugliness in me you discover, the sooner you'll get fed up with me, Jesus. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Whoever doesn't matter how dirty you feel. It doesn't matter how far you've fallen. It doesn't matter what's still going on right now. What matters is that you come to Jesus. But maybe you're wondering, what does it really mean to come to Jesus? I mean, it's not like he's standing at the prayer corner after the service and we can physically walk up to him. What does it mean to come to him? I mean, even if he was standing there, it's not enough to just physically come to him because that's what these Jewish crowds were doing and yet they still didn't get it. What Jesus really wants from us is our faith and our trust in him. He had said earlier, verse 29, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. You believe in Jesus, but who is Jesus? Well, remember, he said in verse 35, I am the bread of life. That's what he wants us to believe this morning. He wants us to believe that He is God's provision for our souls. He wants us to believe that He can fill us up, that He can satisfy our hunger, that He can quench our thirst. He wants us to forget about all the other things that we look for that, whether it's new job, more money, a new house, kids, the, the perfect partner, whatever it might be. He wants us to, to look, look past that and see that actually He's the one who can satisfy? Will we believe him? Will we trust him with our hearts? Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. 
Let's look at that final phrase, I will never drive away. In the original Greek text, Jesus negates this possibility of driving someone away in the strongest possible terms. In English, it would sound like he says, I will not not drive anyone away. He's saying, I will certainly never, ever drive anyone away. You can stake your life on that. Now, I used to think this was a reverse way of him saying, I will always welcome anyone who comes to me for the first time. But actually, the Greek word to drive away means to force someone to leave. So Jesus is not simply saying that he'll never stop anyone from coming to him, although that's true. He's even more strongly saying that he'll never lose someone who's come to him. He'll always keep someone who's come to him. He'll never drive out someone who's with him. He'll never grow tired and exasperated eventually and say, that's enough, get out, leave. He'll never do that. He'll always keep you. Us Christians are a little bit like adopted children in a loving family. And sometimes children that are adopted can feel like maybe sometimes their parent might leave them or abandon them. Maybe they'll grow tired of them one day. But just like families that adopt, when they adopt children, God doesn't adopt us begrudgingly. He adopts us in love. It's his free decision. He knows what he's getting into. He knows who we are and what we're going to do. And he chooses us anyway. And once we're in his family, he keeps us in his family. Jesus is committed to keep us. He says, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. And the reason we can trust this is because Jesus says it would just be unthinkable for him to do otherwise. This is what he says in verses 37 to 40. He says, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away for because I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. He's come to do the will of the Father. It would be unthinkable for Jesus to break his Father's will. And he says, and this is the will of him who sent me that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. Every child God brings to his family, Jesus is charged with keeping and preserving. And all through life until the end of the age when he will raise them at the resurrection. Verse 40, for my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life and I will raise them up at the last day. Jesus will never lose us, not just because he loves us, but because his Father loves us and his Father has given us his Spirit, like it says in Romans 8, the Spirit of adoption who tells us that we really are God's children, that we can call him Abba, Daddy, Father, as his beloved children. The most wicked sinner and the most hopeless sufferer are safe with Jesus because his heart simply cannot let go of those who come to him. That's the big message today. The most wicked sinner and the most hopeless sufferer are safe with Jesus because his heart simply cannot and will not let go of those who come to him in faith. And so this means that if you haven't trusted in Jesus yet, we're very glad you're here, by the way, that there is nothing stopping you from coming to Jesus but you. He hasn't put any other conditions in the way. He just tells you to come. 
He just tells you to put your trust in him. Jesus' heart will never reject those who come to him. And his heart will take you in and keep you in all through your days and your struggles and your issues until the end of this age. And if you're a Christian, this means you can stop doubting God's commitment to you. I don't know if you can relate to these words from Chad Gardner from King's Kaleidoscope, but he released a song really recently called You and I Again. And this is what he sang. He said, could you carry all my shame since I never seem to change? Could you? Will your feelings ever fade? Could you think of me the same? Now, could you? And the answer is, God can. Because Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. And if you've sincerely believed in Jesus, and if you keep coming to him every time you fall, you can know that he will never turn you away. You'll never exhaust his love for you. You'll never wring him dry. Eternal, abundant fullness of life is found here in the heart of Jesus. Fullness of joy, fullness of peace in the heart of Christ that does not change toward his people. Our sins and sufferings and circumstances cannot change that. In our sin, we have a savior who will never reject us. In our sufferings, we have a friend who will never let us go. And in our circumstances, we have a hope that will never fail because the son has promised that he will raise us up at the last day. So let me ask you, will you trust Jesus with yourself? Will you come to him as the bread of life given for you? Will you let yourself rest in the green pastures of his heart for you? We are safe with Jesus because his heart will never let go of those who come to him. Imagine if we all just accepted this today. If we let go of our objections about why Jesus can't accept us. Imagine the burdens that would be lifted. The joy of the person who has finally let Jesus love them for the first time. Imagine the fresh energy we would have to fight sin and live for Jesus. This is what Jesse discovered. He said this is ultimately the conclusion of his story. Once he discovered Jesus and put his faith, this is what he said. The good news is that now I'm free from the bondage of sin. The guilt and shame that weighed me down is now gone because I know that my sin was cleared by my Savior. So I, like any Christian, still stumble, obviously, but... Now when I sin, I no longer wallow in the overwhelming shame and guilt. I can get up, I can dust myself off, and I can utter the comforting words in Romans 8 verse 1, there is now therefore no condemnation for those in Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? Freedom from shame, traction against sin, and peace. Because Jesse finally started to access the incredible mercy that was in Christ's heart to him. Fullness of life is not something ahead of us when we start sinning less or when sufferings end or when circumstances change. Fullness of life is available in the heart of Christ. There's nothing more satisfying and fulfilling than knowing Jesus and his heart will never let go of those who come to him sincerely like children with faith. So let's go to him together now. Let's pray.
Jesus, we just thank you that you're present here today. And that you see each one of us, Lord, and we pray that we can just take masks off before you and we know that you, you know us, you know who we are, you know where we've come from, what we've done and what we will do. And we just thank you that your heart is so warm to sinners and sufferers. We thank you that you invite us to come. We thank you for your unconditional promise that whoever comes to you will never be cast out or driven away, but warmly kept and preserved and provided for. And so Jesus, please help us to put our faith in you today. Lord, we wanna pray as your people, we give ourselves to you. Help us to rest in the fullness of your heart. Help us to trust you that we have a friend like you, a savior like you, a king like you who is ruling over history and who will finally bring us home. Lord, we love you and we pray this in your name, King Jesus. Amen.